Welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. In each episode, we discuss a different topical safeguarding issue with a range of different guest speakers. Please be aware some of this content is sensitive and listener discretion is advised. In this episode, we'll be talking to Jenny Tomei, founder of the organisation GenUp. We'll be discussing issues such as eating disorders and compulsive exercise. Hello everyone, welcome to the Safeguarding Podcast. My name's Georgia, I'm the content manager at the Safeguarding Company, and today I'm joined with Jenny Tomei. Welcome Jenny. Hi, thank you for having me. No worries. Um, Before we begin, do you want to tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, of course. I am a nutritional therapist, I'm a personal trainer and eating disorder coach. And can you tell me a little bit about GenUp, your organisation? Of course. So I set Gen Up up in the lockdown. So it's all about um, the early intervention and prevention of eating disorders. So we're passionate about empowering teachers on how to spot the early signs of an eating disorder. Also empowering parents as well with emotional resilience. And we provide workshops for students as well about eating disorders and empowering them to seek out help and to do something about it. Wonderful. So you say you founded the company during the lockdown. What was it about lockdown that made you realize there was a real need for something like this to exist? Well, I knew that, I mean, eating disorders were already on the rise. Yeah. Um, anyway, but I, I, the situation of isolation, you know, anxiety, you know, the, the emphasis on the kind of the exercise I knew that people were going to suffer, especially young people, like the disruption to the routine, the school. It was a perfect sort of, you know, situation for stress to go out, for anxiety. And they're all triggering factors for people with eating disorders. Yeah. And I remember now there was a lot of um, messaging, wasn't it, about like, oh, you're locked down. Let's get into the best shape of our lives. Let's all eat healthy and learn how to bake bread and we'll go walk thousands and thousands of steps every day since we're all just stuck at home and yeah I guess I see what you mean how it could be really damaging no definitely and it's the also you know with the uncertainty as well and disruption to you know students weren't able to do their exams and obviously for people who are you know perfectionists high achievers you know that was obviously rather annoying for them because they wanted to do their exams they wanted to because they studied really well for it and the yeah. fact that they didn't have control over that they had they were given their results that would have created a lot of disruption to young people yeah and I guess your diet and your exercise are something that is really easy for you con- to control when you're in this kind of a situation where just life turned upside down basically didn't it no definitely and you know you're right with the the um, emphasis on the exercise as well because well what what could we do (laughs) it was you know go out and do your daily exercise but people who especially young people who have that tendency towards obsessive traits and everything it's that can feed into that sort of side and then it becomes very addictive behavior yeah coupled with you know under eating as well it can create a really vicious circle that's really hard to get out of and I have seen a lot of young people especially under 16s coming down with anorexia since COVID. That's really sad to hear that. Yeah. I think the next thing I wanted to ask you is about the range in regards to eating disorders because I think when we hear eating disorder we assume anorexia bulimia and we think about these really extremes 
but can there be other types where it's just problematic behavior that maybe it's not life-threatening but it's still equally as damaging to that person's mental health yeah of course so we're seeing that atypical anorexia is on the rise so atypical um is uh, when you don't fit into the sort of the low weight uh, category basically um so you can present as normal weight um, as well so that's the atypical anorexia so we're seeing that on the rise but it's just as detrimental than typical anorexia yeah. nervosa um, you can have the same symptoms and behavioral symptoms as anorexia but just obviously but your body the presents as maybe a healthy weight yeah yeah oh okay yeah how did how would people diagnose that how would you know to look for that mm, so it's something that i actually made a note on the other day was to create a resource on this perfect (laughs) (laughs) because i I googled about it and i actually found that there wasn't much information on it i think it's something that is not talked about enough and so i mean noticing it is actually hard um so the signs would be you know for example they may be feeling like cold all the time okay um so there's one that uh, digestive issues, mm-hmm. um, just not really being like, distant, not wanting to go out with friends, maybe perhaps like less social life going on. Yeah. Possible things like skipping meals, under eating. And also sometimes they can look really tired. They can present okay. as tired, like possible like bags underneath their eyes, stuff like that, looking like kind of burnt out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those sort of signs, very, yeah, it's one to keep an eye, an eye out for. Okay, so that was the atypical anorexia. Yeah. What are some other ones that you think are quite prevalent, but people maybe don't notice? Yeah, so there's yeah the atypical, and then you've got things like binge eating disorder as well. Okay. And bulimia. Mm-hmm. Um, so bulimia nervosa, you don't have to be underweight to have uh, bulimia nervosa as well. Yeah. Um, you've got people in, in larger bodies who also have anorexia. So there's like binging and starving traits so anorexia is like starving traits so again of larger size but they still have the anorexic side because they're still starving but they're binging as well okay yeah i think it's also important to talk about problematic behaviors with food Mm. so i feel like it's difficult because in society at the moment we put a lot of emphasis like you say on a healthy lifestyle and a healthy diet and good exercise, Mm. how would a teacher or a parent or a sports coach know that person's gone slightly too far? What are kind of like some of the warning signs that they can pick up on? Well, with the exercise, that's something that I'm really passionate about. So there's something called REDES syndrome. So that's Relative Energy Deficit Syndrome. Mm -hmm. I actually speak about that in one of the Gen Up toolkits. There's a little bit of information on that because it's something for sports coaches and teachers to look out for. Um, So that's when obviously... Um, young people over exercise and under eat and that can create a whole host of symptoms on the body basically um, hormonal imbalances is one to look out for so mm-hmm. when they lose their menstruation oh, okay. so i see a lot of young girls losing their uh, menstrual cycle yeah and um, due to the over exercising and under eating so that's 101 get that looked into immediately because <laughs> if that um, continues then that can lead to things like fractures or osteoporosis down the line Oh, wow. Okay. Mm. And also performance. If their performance goes down, Mm -hmm. if they're feeling tired all the time, irritable, digestive symptoms, all those types of things are hard to look out for. And if their recovery from exercise is slow, if they're feeling really sore all the time. So, yeah, those those are the ones to really look out for. And it's 
it's more education on around how to have the balance between the exercise yeah. and the healthy eating because it's just kind of in this like all or nothing. The fitness industry is like yeah. very much all or nothing. Yeah, you're either an athlete or you you're a couch potato. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I guess one of the questions as well is: It difficult you think to educate students on a healthy diet when our ideas around what is healthy and what isn't keep changing? Like I remember. Years ago, the food pyramid, they were like, oh, yeah, eight, 12 servings of carbs a day, which maybe isn't what we're teaching now. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's really important that I'm really passionate about saying that we're all biologically and genetically very different. So we all need to eat and exercise differently. And there's new studies coming out about that, you know, all the time. So, you know, one person's diet might not fit another. We all have different digestion. We all have different lifestyles. So I'm really like passionate about, okay, let's look at what's good for you because I see a lot of young people comparing themselves to other people yeah, in terms of what they're eating or, or should I be eating that or, yeah, but this, they're totally different yeah, um, in terms of their activity levels, their genetics. So it's, it's working out what is best for you and there's education sort of around that. That's what we do around the genetics and how your lifestyle is different Obviously, what you need to eat in a day depends on a variety of different things. So your age, your height, your weight, your gender, your activity levels, certain genetics. Mm. Um, No one is the same. And, you know, we each respond differently to different foods in terms of our blood sugar. And there's new research coming out on that as well. So we're all just so different. We're all so unique. And I firmly believe if we, we learn that, from the start then we can choose the foods that we know that work well for us perfect um I think we should talk about social media so um (laughs) how do you well what do you see how do you see people being affected by social media how is that more damaging to people who have eating disorders or disordered eating yeah it's a really good question I mean I see I mean I'm on social media (laughs) I'm on TikTok I'm on Instagram I'm on Facebook um I mean, yeah, when I look down Instagram, I just see so many images of of people with these muscular bodies, basically. The fitspo, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I know this whole thing about muscle dysmorphia, um, that's definitely needs to be talked about more. This sort of emphasis on needing to have muscle. I see that a lot. The ideal body shape for men and women just keeps changing, doesn't it? Yeah. And now I feel like there's this really em- emphasis for women as well to have like a really large ass and then mm. a tiny waist and abs and to look really lean. Yeah. Yeah. And the same for men is like muscular, but you're not bulky. Like No, no. But what young people need to understand is that, again, down to genetics, that can be really hard for someone to yeah. actually get a body like that. And it is down to genetics. Some people are genetically, can get down to a lower body fat than someone else. Um, and you're trying to train your body to do something that it doesn't want to do yeah and it's not sustainable so if it's not sustainable i say like why do it and at the end of the day it's like you end up with health issues down the line especially for women it's actually really unhealthy for like women to have a low body fat percentage yeah because they end up losing their menstruation because we're naturally meant to have a higher body fat to be a children aren't we like it's how our bodies have been made to function (laughs) Yes, well, that's what, you know, we are genetically, you know, we're meant to have more fat um, than men. 
um, for reproductive reasons, like you just said. And I think it's just education more around that and looking at why we're meant to have fat in our bodies, why it's good to have fat in our bodies versus this lean look that, okay, if you want that, let's look at the costs of having that yeah. and maintaining that down the line. Because if they lose their menstruation, they end up with low estrogen levels, which can, which can create a lot of hormonal imbalances within the body. Yeah. I think so. it's important to remember as well that social media is edited. Yeah. And it's not, can't be taken at face value, can it? Because there are so many tricks that Instagram models and fitness models have to make their body look a certain way. Definitely. No, there's lots of um, body editing apps and body fil uh, fil yeah. filtering, especially on TikTok. There's like body, there was an, an article that came out around that, around body editing apps on TikTok. Oh. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> that wasn't great. So there's actually uh, a campaign going around at the moment to put a law against this around uh, filtering on Instagram because apparently it's the law in Norway, I believe. Yeah, I think... I know, I think in France there might be a rule about Photoshop yeah, for France. advertising. Yeah. I personally think it should be illegal to edit images at all. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise we're not used to seeing a diverse range of sizes as well no. as racial types and genders. So No, we're not. I mean it's so there is a campaign going around that to get that to get that to make that the law. Yeah. So I think that's really good. That's a start. Yeah. And because that should be the law. I don't believe that we're just it's just sort of creating this sort of unrealistic standard of beauty and yeah. it's just so damaging. And I think that young people need to realise that that is not real life. You don't look that way all the time. And if you want to look that way all the time, then you have to think about what you'll have to be doing to be able to look like that all the time. Yeah. And you'd have to be in the gym 24-7 and not have a social life. Yeah. And it's <laughs> and it's saying, do you want that for your life? Yeah. You, you know, I imagine you won't be very happy that entire time either. I think for some people, it, you know, it can make them happy, but it's temporary. It's not what they really want. Yeah. It's temporary happiness. Perhaps they've got other stuff going on in their life and it's... But it's like a temporary happiness. It's filling something yeah. for them right now. That leads on to the next question. That was a beautiful transition there. Um, <laughs> do you think a lot of people use exercise and diet as a way to cope with stresses in their lives? Definitely. Having personal experience with that as well. <laughs> do you mind talking a little bit about that? Or No, of course. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I do what I do. So, um, yeah, I mean, I didn't know that I was using exercise to burn off my anxiety. Mm -hmm. So I had a lot of anxiety going on when I was going through um, the anorexia. Yeah. And I didn't know, like, obviously, exercise is, is great for stress and anxiety, yeah. isn't it? But when you're, okay, it's a balance, right? So I didn't know what the balance was. So I was going into the gym like every other day trying, you know, I'm anxious, so I'm going to go work out. Yeah. Um, and it would help with that. Um, but as I said, like kind of that obsession and if, if that takes over, it can become very addictive and you're doing it all the time. And it's, you know, it's, it's not good. And if you're not eating well, it can, yeah. you'll end up in that sort of cycle and that's what I was doing and I think at the time I had other stuff going on and it was just I didn't know how to deal with it emotionally yeah so I would just be like right let's put it all into my workout yeah let's put all these emotions and stress into this workout um and it, it was working at the time but it didn't fix the problem yeah it's it, I was just it was just I was avoiding it yeah it's scary because when you're saying this I'm relating to this so much like because I've also felt this way like you go out and you're like oh I've had a bad day I'm going to the gym 
and I'll feel better after that. But it's that line, isn't it? Like you said, mm. the balance of at what point do you stray too far and it becomes I need to go to the gym. Yeah. I need to do a workout because I don't know how to process how I'm actually feeling. And I think it's really important for children and young people to be educated about that because when you're 15, life's just <laughs> kicking you, isn't it? Like there's so much going on. Oh, no, definitely. And when we, you know, especially if people feel emotions like quite strongly yeah, and they don't know what to do about it or how to process it. So it's just learning to recognize the emotion, learning to sit with it, letting yourself feel the emotion, obviously talking about it. And I was, you know, I went to therapy and talked about it and getting down to the root causes of what's going on, especially around anxiety. Yeah. Um, because there's a difference between I need to go work out versus I want to work out, make me feel It'll good. It'll make me feel better. Yeah. yeah. Versus, oh, like if I don't do this workout, this is going to happen. Or it I just need to do it. a bit compulsive, doesn't yeah. it? Like I have to do it, yeah, not, yeah. not I want to do it. Yeah. And we're seeing a lot of, since COVID as well, because of the emphasis around the exercise, a lot of compulsive exercise has increased. Okay. Yeah. So going back to COVID and when you first founded your company, what were some of the first things you started to do to try to help people who were struggling with compulsive exercise and eating disorders? Well, I created a resource on that, actually, um, on compulsive exercise. So I've done one for parents mm -hmm. on how to spot the early signs if someone is, um, if your son or your daughter is over-exercising. So I created that. And then I created one for sports coaches as well because I thought it'd be okay. really important for them to look out for. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's, there's one for, in the toolkit, there's a bit about exercise for teachers as well, like, you know, learning how to spot the signs, because they can be quite subtle to start off with. What kind of signs are we talking about that maybe, if you weren't looking for them, you might not even realise? Mm, yeah, well, menstruation for one, because yeah. they, they could, you know, yeah, that's easily sort of hidden. Um, tiredness is one. I think that can be hidden pretty well if you're yeah. tired because they, they could just be functioning or things like coffee or something. Yeah. Because um, that's what I used to do. <laughs> um, or what other ones? I mean, again, the kind of burnt out sort of look. I mean, you can see that. It's just general sort of tiredness and yeah. irritability. Um, and obviously, sometimes they may present with weight loss, sometimes not. So the signs are subtle, but it's also, is, is there a lack of focus? Yeah. Uh, are they sleeping less? So those sort of signs. Do you find there might be signs of behavioural changes, like not wanting to see their friends anymore, losing interest in activities they once really loved? Yeah, that's definitely one. Yeah. yeah. So wanting to go to the gym versus socialising or going out. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and cutting certain things out of their diet or yeah. not wanting to socialise, go out with friends, have a drink, all those sorts of things. So why do you think schools are really well placed to help prevent the eating disorders in their students? Well, I think teachers play a really important role on being able to spot the early signs of an eating disorder, really. And just being there to, you know, I mean, they see them the most, don't they? Because yeah. they're at school and they know them. And and I just think that they can play a really important part on being able to empower students to go and seek help and to do something about it. And if they're more educated in that area, like know what to say, what not to say to a student, then that could be really helpful for them. Um, because I think, you know, if a student trusts someone at school and they feel like they can open up to them, that's great because they need, um, 
you know, that trust in someone to be yeah. able to talk to someone. Um, because sometimes they may find it hard to speak to their parents about it. I know that I did. I couldn't speak to my parents at all. I had to speak to someone that was sort of not sort of family related. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just think that they play such an important role. Wonderful. Um, we mentioned compulsive exercise before. So within sports clubs and for children who do after school activities. Yeah. Where do you think the line is between, <laughs> you know, a bit of competitiveness because that's how sport works and, like you said, this compulsiveness that can come out of it, like being pushed a little bit too hard to perform? Yeah. Because I think, like, with the yeah. Olympics as well, Simone Biles, I think, was the big one we all remember. Yeah. How she kind of went, like, you know what, I need to quit for my mental health. And there was a lot of really mixed reviews about something like that. When in reality, shouldn't we put the mental health of young people first? I'm always going to say mental health is important. Yeah. Because it's looking at the cost of what you're doing on your body and your health and whether that's worth it in the long run. Yeah. Um, obviously, talking about Olympics, that's di- it's different. Obviously, they're being if you're being paid, <laughs> you know, and there's funding, then okay. But it's, but it's also like how many of them, how their careers are over when they're so young because of the strain they put their bodies through. I know, I know. (laughs) No, I know. I think that I wished, I mean, I put my body through a lot of strain in my 20s and I wish someone would have told me, well, if you keep doing that, you're going to end up like this Mm. and this is going to happen. I would have stopped what I was doing. Yeah. I know that I would have stopped. Yeah, it's like the amount of training they do from a young age. Yeah. I know when I was younger, both my sisters were competitive gymnasts. Okay. And... Me and my two sisters were also, we were competitive Irish dancers and we played netball. So a lot going on. But I remember for them, their schedules were crazy. And they were like, I think Monday, Wednesday, Friday from like four till six at the gymnasium. Saturdays were netballs. There was netball training. We danced twice a week. We went away for competitions. Okay, that's a lot. Yeah. And then when I was in New Zealand, I was teaching Irish dancing And all the little girls who I was teaching, they were all between the age of like five and ten. And every day after school, they have some other sort of form of physical activity they're doing. It's a lot of activity. It is. And it's nice for them to have so many interests. But you're also like, it shouldn't really be normal for a child to not be getting home until seven o'clock each evening. No, I I think it's important to look at as to why that you're doing it or why someone is doing it. Are you doing it to prove yourself to achieving a side obviously perfectionism runs a lot in sports so there's perfectionism type traits I definitely had that yeah I think it was the a kind of a obsession with winning and, and beating times and the achievement aspect yeah so the high achievers I see a lot of that in sport I feel like it's a lot of rivalry as well yeah because I know between siblings like it was definitely me, me and my sisters were all like we're going to be better than each other. <laughs> okay. I know. Um, yeah, like, oh, I remember going running once and my younger sister was a bit faster than me and I was mad about that because she was younger <laughs> than me and she was so proud. But it kind of meant that I never wanted to run with her after that. So it kind of almost spoiled it a little bit because we were so competitive with each other. Okay. And do you think that yeah. happens in schools as well, in clubs where they're kind of like, you know, you want to be the best. Oh, but when definitely. you're not the best, what happens? What do you do? Oh, definitely. I mean, there is that competitive. If you're naturally competitive, you, you'll want to be the best. I know I had that mentality. I was a very hyper-focused. So if I made the decision, I would do it. Yeah. And I'm sure there's many of the young people doing that. 
But I think it's that kind of that tunnel vision of that's what I was like. I made that decision and I went, right, I'm going to train my ass off so I can get to this certain level. And but OK, I want young people who listen to this just to ask yourself, OK, well, will you be happy when you get to this level? Yeah. Or, or will it just or be just want more? Yeah, exactly. What are the costs of you doing that? you know, verse, you know, of this behavior or like perhaps if, I mean, if they're eating well and they're support, fine, yeah. but if they're not, well, it's looking at the cost of what that's going to do to their body. Cause I don't think we think about that. I didn't think about that. Yeah. I didn't think about what I would have to deal with when I got older. Yeah. And it's just allowing them to think about things and think just widen their thinking a little bit, not having this sort of, set go up hyper focus just going to go for it no matter what it is train yeah. train hard or go home exactly yeah it's kind of like an all or nothing thing isn't yeah. it yeah very much all or nothing <laughs> can we talk about how eating disorders will play into forms of exercise because i think i know you and i we've spoken before about eating disorders compulsive exercises and the webinars that we've run and i remember you talking about how some sports when they're image-based and you have to look a certain way, yeah. that can be really damaging as well. No, definitely. I mean, gymnastics is one. Yeah. Um, obviously, in the sort of leotards conscious, um, I think there is obviously a lot of you know, weight involved around gymnastics, being able to make weight. Yeah. Um, there's a lot involved around that. Uh, and especially, so another sport would be dance dancers. Ballet dancers. Yeah, yeah. ballet just dance in general, yeah. very high expectations, perfectionism, body image issues. Obviously, a bit they're surrounded by mirrors all the time. Yeah. Do you remember when um, bar fitness became really popular? Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. And I remember <laughs> the marketing was get that like lean dancer body, do bar fitness. And I was like, that's not nice. <laughs> no, no, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we've talked a lot about female body image. Yeah. No one really talks about eating disorders in men and young boys. No, they don't. Yeah. Have you had, like, from your experience, do you find the split is half and half, mostly towards women, or is it just not talked about with boys? I don't think it's talked about enough because there's a lot of stigma around men with eating disorders, which is something that I'm trying to break down through the Gen Up podcast as well. What kind of a stigma do you mean? Well, that it's only, only females get eating disorders. Why, why Why? is that? Why do we think that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But it's something that I definitely want to work on and break down because I've had a couple of um, guys come on the Gen Up podcast and to share their stories because I think that's going to help. Yeah. Um, I think it's just sort of lack of people speaking about it in education really mm. um, around it because, you know, 25% of um, guys have anorexia. Um, that's very high statistic. Yeah, yeah. I know that. Mm. And I think it's just also... There's a stigma around men and feelings, isn't there? Not being able to... Men's uh, mental health is definitely... Men should man up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> men men aren't in tune with their softer generals. It's, oh, it's so annoying. No. <laughs> yeah, really frustrates me. So do you think it's harder to detect an eating disorder in men? Because like you said, women carry a higher percentage of body fat. So I guess when men lose weight, they just look more muscular it depends. I mean, everyone's different. Yeah. Um, you know, it's everyone is very, very different. I mean, it's, there's just generally more education needed around, around that area. And I think obviously men, boys, they may find it hard to, because of that whole stigma, to speak about it. Yeah. Um, 
who do they go to to speak about that who's going to understand them um it's difficult yeah I guess it's hard as well because in the society people always praise weight loss oh you look fantastic look how much weight you've lost you look great it's so true (laughs) and it's like oh that just like reinforces doesn't it that you're doing the right thing and that you look good yeah it reinforces it and it says oh i'm actually doing good i'm going to continue with this yeah so it reinforces that you're rewarding that behavior yeah and that's what we need to stop doing yeah Yeah. i think to a similar degree that happens when women give birth as well so how quickly can you get back to your pre-baby body and you've just you've just like life has entered the world (laughs) we should be celebrating that not Oh, when are you going to drop all that extra weight you gained while you're carrying your baby? It's ridiculous. There's so much pressure on mums to get back into their their bodies. There's yeah. so much pressure. Um, and again, I don't think social media has helped with that either. <laughs> I don't think celebrities do either. Cause celebrities no, the celebrity just, side of it. Yeah, they lot of celebrity fitness people. Yes, and they're also constantly just under the microscope, aren't they? We're always watching them. And the media is so quick to praise them when, oh, she's back to her... Yeah. pre-baby weight already it's only been like six weeks yeah, yeah. no I know I, again I think it, what helps with that is just if you're comparing your lifestyle to them it's just so unrealistic because we can't have the same same as that it's we're all so different yeah I think it's just looking at ourselves as individuals not comparing ourselves to other people I think it's so important yeah so you've mentioned a little bit some of the sport you offer and the work you're doing with schools. Do you just want to elaborate on that so our listeners can hear how you might be able to help them? Of course. Uh, we, well, we provide training for teachers on how to spot the early signs of an eating disorder. So teacher training. Um, we also cover in that on like how to start a conversation with a student who may be suffering with an eating disorder. So what sort of, what can they say? Like how do they approach it? What not to say? Um, we also give sort of other support channels that they can have and um, speak to and workshop for parents as well on emotional resilience. So we want to work more with parents because their mm. emotional resilience is really important. Yeah. Uh, also for the students, so workshops for the students on a uh, bit on nutrition. We touch a bit on nutrition. So learning how we're all like very different Yeah. Um, about eating disorders in general. We talk about our own stories as well. So I talk about my own story of anorexia, how it happened, how I recovered, why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Yeah. And yeah, just education more for the students and empowering them really to, if they may have an issue with food, empowering them to do something about it soon, sooner rather than later. Amazing. You mentioned parents. I wanted to touch on that quickly because I guess, is it important for parents to be educated about eating disorders because it could be something passed down generationally, can't it? Like if you have, if, if a mother has her own body image issues and she's constantly talking about that, will her children not pick up on that and go, oh, yeah. clearly if mum feels that way about her body, I should also be concerned about my own body. No, definitely. We explain that in one of the Gen Up toolkits actually about how um, parents' actions may be accidentally impacting, you know, the, the child. Yeah. And it's sort of learned behaviour. So seeing how their behaviour is impacting their child. And they, yeah. they can pick up on that. And it's not it's not their fault at all. It's just sort of education around that and what they can do as a parent to help their child. Yeah. So we do do um, workshops on that as well. And how, Amazing. Yeah. So we think that's really important. It also goes the other way, doesn't it? And I remember my grandparents were always like, 
can't get down from the table to you finish all your dinner. Yeah. And it's this, this idea of like, you don't want to waste it, but then no. that kind of conditions children to keep eating past fullness, doesn't it? it? It does, yeah. It's sort of this sort of can't waste food, so I need to eat everything on my plate. Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. And it's yeah. kind of conditioned at a young age, isn't it? And then when you're older, it's a bit like, oh, I guess I have to eat everything. <laughs> yeah, it's it's that learned behaviour. But it's just education around it more, really, yeah. and working with the parents on that. And if the parents do have you know, a son or a daughter with an eating disorder, it's learning. We also do workshops on how to speak to them, what to say, what not to say. That's really important because some parents don't know what to say sometimes. And yeah. that's not their fault at all. Yeah. It's just learning what to say, what to do in that situation, how to support their child and how can they stay strong as well because their emotional resilience is really important too. I wanted to really thank you because the work you're doing is really amazing and thank you for being so open with us about your own experiences and why you help people the way you do. So thank you so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. No worries. (laughs) And for everyone else, we'll put links in the show notes to all of Jenny's resources and toolkits and where you can get in touch with her if you'd like to talk about training or any of the workshops at all. Thank you for listening to the Safeguarding Podcast. For resources and more information about our safeguarding solutions, please visit thesafeguardingcompany.com.